Join us, friends. Great Scott Spa Guy. Do they know what we have in store for them? They will if they tighten up. And don't double dribble. To the Grey Ghost Spa Guy? Exactly, old chum. No time to waste. To the Grey Ghost. We have not a minute to spare. It's showtime, friends. All right. It is the Spa Guy and Trey back again for another episode of Wickwam. Wishing Cotton was a monkey. And you know what we're not doing? We are not wishing Cotton was a monkey. <laughs> but you know what? There are a lot of people out there, Trey, that are. Uh, in the last episode, my daughter was here, and we were talking about the Lacey Peterson, Scott Peterson case. And she was lining out all the reasons that she believes that he's guilty and kind of giving us a back timeline. And we went a little bit over our normal 45 minutes, and she still had so much to tell us. So we're going to bring her back for part dose, part two. So Caroline, let me bring you in. This is my daughter, Caroline. Hi. And for those of you that don't know, uh, she is my daughter. Uh, she <laughs> is fascinated by murder uh, mysteries type thing. Scares her a little bit, scares me a little bit, but <laughs> She doesn't uh, care, and I'll let her speak for herself, but this is part two of the Lacey Peterson uh, murder, the Scott Peterson guilty verdict. So where we left off, Caroline, if you hadn't watched or listened to part one, go back and listen to part one. So that would be episode six of the Wickwam podcast, part one. This is episode seven, part two, for those of you that are trying to keep up. Um, so... Where we left off, Caroline, was you were talking about uh, Amber Fry, which was his girlfriend. And so tell us about how that all happened, where the police ended up tapping the phone and doing all of those kinds of things. So Amber actually had no idea. She was not watching the news, even though this case, the disappearance of Lacey, before we knew how it all ended up, was all over. It was being covered 24 hours a day, pretty much. This was when media, since the OJ case, they started picking up these 24-hour stories. So they're filling like all these time slots with the Scott Peterson case. And she's not watching any of it. So she has no idea. She's dating him. He's picking her daughter up. She thinks they're in love. They have all these plans. And then she finally... I think reads a newspaper article and recognizes the name. And it's like, that's a little bit odd. This is the same name of the guy that I'm dating. And he's a fertilizer salesman. There's no picture of him. But she's like, I think he might have a missing wife. And she's freaking out like anybody would. So time out, Caroline. Let me let me go back and add. <laughs> so you're telling me that his wife has gone missing. He's all over the news, her bodies, whatever. His girlfriend has no clue. And all of this time when his face is everywhere, all throughout the country on CNN news outlets, he's still going out with her and picking her daughter up and has not told her anything yet. So I think at this point he tells her, around the time that they pick up this Christmas tree together on this outing with her daughter, that he's actually going away for Christmas. So he's not going to be able to see her for a while. And it's also in this conversation that he finally does tell her that he lost his wife, that she was lost. 
he admits to this, but he doesn't say that he's married. He just says that this is going to be his first holidays without her. And he's going to be traveling with his family and he won't be able to see her for a few weeks. But that thing should die down for him at the end of January and they'll be able to start back together. And he didn't think that she was gone. First, he didn't say his wife was missing. Right. He said, he said his wife's dead. He yeah. said she was lost, which is extremely incriminating because he tells her this before Lacey has even disappeared. She's lost already. So it just lends you to think that he's already in his mind set up that he is going to murder his wife and his unborn child and that he thinks, dumbly enough, that nobody's going to care and that by the end of January, they haven't, they will not have found the body because he thinks that she's hidden in the bay and that by the end of January, he can start his life with his mistress and do what he wants to do and live as a free from marriage man. So she actually, to verify that Scott is, um, she's trying to figure out, is this the guy that I'm dating? So she calls the police department and asks them. And it's the two investigators that are on the case that get put on the phone call with her. And they're like, yes, I cannot imagine this being your job. And you get this phone call because it blows it wide open. If people didn't already hate this man and think that he was the worst because he did not act like he cared about his wife and his child being gone and he didn't even care to really look for them, they're going to hate him even more when they find out that he has a mistress. His wife was beautiful. She was about to have their baby and he just really didn't give a crap <laughs> at all. And we, It's just shocking. He can't even feign being upset. He's a terrible actor or either he's the best. I don't, I can't decide which it is. So he tells, Amber figures out from the police by looking at his birth date that she is in fact dating the Scott Peterson that is plastered everywhere. And she freaks out, but the police are like, Hey, we've got a wonderful thing that we can do because you're connected to him already. He's having these conversations with you and they, he doesn't know that you know about us and the case and what's going on. So they immediately, this is how long ago it was, take her to Radio Shack and buy her all the stuff she needs to start recording their conversations. And I think Ultimately, they end up getting like 24, 26 hours of them talking. Wow. It's ridiculous to have to listen to it because it's just a bunch of, oh, you're so wonderful. It's hard to listen to. And you also know what's happening in the background. So um, she finds this out and she's trying to pull information out of him. But he does this awful thing where he... Um, will just vaguely tell her things, but he'll also tell her like, you know, I can't talk to you about things like that. So one of the things that he tells her in a conversation is that he never cheated on her. He never cheated on his mistress with his wife. He never cheated on her. And she says, what does that even mean, Scott? You're married. You have a wife. What are you saying? You went to bed with her that night. Did you? What are you saying? He's like, just so you know, I never cheated, which ultimately means nothing. You have a baby on the way. You have a whole wife that I didn't know about. But he somehow thinks 
he cares so much about her that he is only worried about protecting this relationship. And he calls her and tells her, I saw that you did this press conference and you told the entire world that we were together. And I'm just so proud of you. You're so amazing. And that's what his takeaway was. <laughs> I just. That guy's a psychopath. He yeah. is. Yeah. A psychopath. There's just nothing yeah. else that you can say about it. The only type of person that would be capable of committing a crime like this. It's not like, I'm not saying that people aren't psychopaths if they do things like this, but it's not like they got into an argument and it was in the heat of the moment and he did something he shouldn't have done. This was planned. He needed her out of the way. He needed to be with his mistress. There's also a lot of things that were horrible that he said um, and did related to them having a baby. So Lacey actually did confide in her mom at one point in her pregnancy that Scott would never touch her belly. He didn't interact with her um, being pregnant as far as like being interested in the baby or wanting to feel the baby kick, which is something that expected parents really love um, during pregnancy. It makes you feel connected to the baby. And she said that it was concerning to her that Scott never wanted to touch the baby kicking or talk to her about that. And it seemed like it made him uncomfortable. And Lacey's mom assured her, I'm sure he's just nervous and it's a little weird for him. And by the time the baby gets here, he's going to be so excited. I wouldn't worry about it. He also told her brother when they were telling everyone that they were trying to get pregnant, I guess they announced that to their family, that he was hoping for infertility. So he was hoping that she would never have a baby or become pregnant. And also Lacey had um, a medical condition. I think it might have been that she had one ovary. I'm not entirely sure. But there was something that was um, maybe reassuring to him that she would never be able to carry a baby when they got married. And he didn't really want to be a father. So when this did happen... It's like a ticking time bomb, right? And then she's eight months pregnant when this happens and she goes missing and she's toward the end of her pregnancy and he never wanted to be a father. So none of that adds up well for him to look like he didn't do something to keep But he her had a timeline. He had, baby. I mean, he knew the baby was going to be born in nine months. So he had to do something before that. Before then. Happened. The right. baby's due date was February 10th. He, in the middle of this investigation, starts making phone calls and telling people that they need to switch the due date to the 16th, that everybody's got it wrong and it's really the 16th. Um, we can't, nobody can really quite figure out what the motive was for changing the due date. Um, but of course, it was devastating for all of her family when her due date comes and goes and they still don't know where she is. And so they're also checking hospitals and they're um, making phone calls to try to see if she's gone into labor and the baby has been born. Um, so, and that all comes out dry because nobody, uh, she's not at any of these hospitals and he's just not upset about it. And another thing that I thought was interesting is he's doing this interview. It's with Gloria, um, I can't remember her last name right now. Her first name is Gloria. Um, Allred. Yes, I believe it's Gloria Allred. And she's doing an interview with him, sitting down with him in his house. And they're talking about the case and he's answering questions. And all of a sudden his phone goes off in the other room. And it's ringing and it's ringing. And if your wife is missing and you don't know where she is and your phone is going off, and you're desperate to find her, you would think that you would be like jumping up 
to go answer the phone? Because what if it's the call that you've been waiting for? What if it's a family member telling you that she's been found or she's made her way to a phone because she's been kidnapped and she's trying to get in touch with you? And he just doesn't care. He looks at the interviewer and he's like, do you need me to silence that? And he just goes and silences the phone and moves on with his life because he does not care that his wife is missing and that he's trying to find her. Well, something else that you told me, another little tidbit was, if from my memory, was something about when they had the uh, when they had the, the the search parties and they were out looking, he had some strange behavior during the search parties. Yes. Yeah, so it was actually um, at the candlelight vigil. They're holding a vigil for her because they it's been some time and they haven't been able to find her. And he there are photographs of him smiling, laughing. He's not upset. Um, I can only imagine anybody in my life that was, you know, that had happened to. I mean, I'm a woman, so I know it's different. And all people grieve differently. And there are different ways that people react. But it's just strange with all of his behavior combined, all of this circumstantial evidence um, combined that it just doesn't look good for him. It doesn't look like he's a grieving husband. He's never, I watched the interview tapes. You can pull them up on YouTube of him sitting with the police officers the night that she's first disappeared. He's laying back. He's drinking water. He's answering questions. He's nonchalant. If your eight-month pregnant wife is missing, you come home, she's not in the house, nobody knows where she is, and you're distraught over her, you're asking, what can I tell you? What can I do? Where should I go? What information can we find out? Why are you questioning me right now? I don't know where my wife is. He's not frantic. He's collected. And there's actually a recording of the investigator. I think it was Al Burkini. He records himself saying he's calm, cool, collected, and totally unconcerned um, that she's gone after, you know, he's being questioned. He's giving his alibi. He's saying where he was for the day. And there's just no concern. Also, while he's at this candlelight vigil and he has photographs where he's smiling, he makes a phone call to Amber Fry and the phone conversations have been tapped by the police so they can hear all of this. And he's such a liar. He's such the type of a liar that he's told her that he's traveling with his family, that he tells her that he's at um, New Year's Eve. It's New Year's Eve in Paris and there's fireworks and there's a crowd and he's got his friends Antonio, I think, and Pascal, and they're out having a wonderful time. He's really at his wife's candlelight vigil for her being missing. And he's calling his mistress, telling her all these horrible lies. He's called her and told her he's been running, taking runs on the cobblestones in Paris. And he's gone here and done this. And he's being investigated by the police. And his family does not think that he's guilty. I just. Yeah, that's all you need to know. It blows my mind. His whole family has to be a bunch of nutcases. And it sounds like that there was some moral issues with his family anyway, because yeah. his parents, uh, from from what I from what I gathered, I remember in the last one in the last podcast, you mentioned that his father was like, ah, he just cheated, ah, it's all good. So there's yeah. no moral compass there. There's there, that's something that's a foundation that his that his parents set. Yes, 
is what so it sounds like. His dad is on CNN. I believe it was an interview with CNN where he says 95% of men cheat. He's sitting next to his wife, by the way. And he's like, and you know, that it just is what it is. Like, it's not a big deal. And his wife is like, right, not a big deal at all. Like, they just don't care. They don't well, even she's think. got the oxygen. Yeah, she's sitting there. I mean, I just, it's just ridiculous that people are still standing up for him, that it was 2021. They're still trying to get a retrial. They're still trying to appeal it. They're constantly looking into the jurors and saying that there were jurors that were, and look, I've watched the documentaries. I've seen the jurors. I do believe there were a little bit of, there was maybe some craziness with some of the jurors. I'm a normal person. I can understand that you want a fair trial, but there was enough incriminating evidence for him. And a lot of people get caught up on it being circumstantial and they think that circumstantial evidence isn't good evidence to put someone away on. And something that comes up in this case time and time again is that people talk about how circumstantial evidence can be just as good as eyewitness because a lot of eyewitness um, evidence falls apart because people will retract their statements. People can be threatened. And ultimately, it's almost better to have tons of circ circumstantial evidence against someone because when you're going to trial, you it, it adds up and it really can give a jury a full picture of what was going on. And they ultimately looked at all of these pieces and put them together. And he was convicted of her murder and sentenced to the death penalty um, for her case. Later on, it was overturned. So he is not no longer on death row, but he is in San Quentin prison in um, California. And his for life. Yes, for life. He will be there for life. And, okay. uh, and statistically, I just want to break up a statistic. Statistically, remember, Trey, we've looked into this before because of the situation we had with the, the movie theater thing that the, the FBI statistics say that uh, that like the amount of eyewitness testimony that is accurate, that's believable is less than 50 percent. It was something like 47 yeah, percent from my memory or 48 percent, something like that. So circumstantial evidence is not is more believable because it's circumstantial. You can go, you could take a logic, logical timeline. And Trey, right. you wanted to say something. Yeah, Caroline, now, is this true? Because I, I read up on it. He, um, when he got caught, he was trying to escape. He was trying to get across the border. You yeah. know, that's a good point. He did the OJ. He dyed his um, mustache and his hair. Through a beard, uh, a goatee, dyed his hair and beard. It looked a little like you, Trey. His family, <laughs> no. <laughs> That's like the worst thing you can tell someone. He did the, but he did the OJ defense and tried to run. And so his family says that he was running from the media that day, that he was in this police chase. He was in a high-speed uh, chase with the police and that he thought it was the media because they had been so all over him. He was running from the media and he wasn't going to the border. He had his brother's ID and passport because he was just trying to get a discount at the golf course. This man has never made it to the golf course. We're still waiting for him to go. He went fishing. <laughs> and this was on a different day that they were saying he was going to go golfing and he still didn't go golfing. We're just waiting on you, Scott. Just golf, for goodness sake. We're trying to get you there. Billy, you don't know this, but he had $15,000 from his brother. Cash. Yeah. Cash. I think it was yeah, I remember when that was on the news, when that was actually happening. 
I mean, I got to get out of the United States, you know. So they yeah. said that his mom accidentally drew this out of his account and didn't want to overdraft the account. So she was trying to give it back to him in cash so that he could take care of the accounts and get them back settled. I mean, wow. there's an excuse for everything. I, it's, I mean, to this point, it's just actually disrespectful to Lacey and Connor to feel this strongly about trying to defend someone that's so guilty. Yeah. When it's so blatantly obvious in front of all of us, it's almost painful to watch for the victim because just how, how could you possibly support him and the things that he's doing that like within two days of her being gone, he calls the two investigators that are on the case and asks them if cadaver dogs are going to be used. And the investigator, the lead investigator tells him, I mean, as far as we were concerned, there was no body. So why would we need cadaver dogs? It's just <laughs> ridiculous yeah. that they're not. I mean, the, come on, people. Add it I up. Quit. I, quit. I guess the attorney for the state or whatever uh, probably had a field day in court just because of all the lies that they were able to catch Scott Peterson on. Well, they actually had um, Garagos, his defense attorney, is very well known for winning his cases. And he took it thinking that he was going to get him off and that it was going to be super easy and it was going to be no problem. And the, um, the prosecution actually had some issues in court. They were, you know, not as neat and tidy with their timeline, their story, all of their things as they could have been. So it, the case was, it was hung in the balance for a bit. They also had a lot of jury errors where I think two or three jurors were let go for misconduct or for lying on their um, jury surveys when they were getting it. And also they didn't move the, the trial very far from where it originally happened. I think it was only 45 minutes from Fresno or Modesto and, um, it just wasn't quite far enough to even be able to find people that weren't so heavily invested, but everybody in America was at that point, everybody in the United States cared about this case. Everybody knew who he was and pretty much everyone thought he was guilty aside from his family. I mean, it was very hard to find people that actually were going to give him the time of day and not just straight up convict him because they hated him, which there's a, a juror. I think they called her strawberry cheesecake was her juror name. And she, um, she was kind of the wild card, <clears throat> excuse me, that they thought that um, she came in it wanting to convict him because she already had it out for him. And so that is a large part of the appeal that they just tried to do in 2021 that was denied is that they said that she was a juror that was not going to give him a chance. She didn't listen to the case and, you know, weigh it back and forth. And it when it did go to um, the time where the jury sits down together and they do get to talk it out and make their decisions, when she was switched in, it was like half of a day from that time period that the case was decided and they read the verdict. And people said that she went into it knowing exactly how she felt. She didn't weigh it with the other people. And so that was part of the appeal, but it was ultimately denied, which I'm glad for. And I hope he never finds a way to get free. Um, it's just, it's a terrible, terrible case. And it's highly interesting for anyone that wants to go online and dive into it more. 
there's even lists on Reddit's where you can just read um, the amount of lies and things that he and his family have come up with. And they even did horrible things to Lacey's family. Like they wouldn't let her, let them have her personal belongings. And then they ended up selling things that were hers, even with things with the house to cover his defense in the trial, which is just horrible that your murdered daughter her house is getting sold and the money is going to be used to defend her husband who you believe is guilty. And so it, it's just sad and I'm glad he's not walking free. And I'm just, I honestly feel sorry for anyone that feels like he is telling the truth. I just don't understand. Well, the but amount of, of law, the amount of evidence circumstantial or otherwise, you mentioned that it was insulting to Lacey. It's insulting to logical people. When you listen to it, there's no other conclusion that you can have. It's just so blatantly obvious that he did it. And I mean, of course, he deserves a fair trial, just like anybody else. That's what our country stands for. And that's what we want uh, to keep people from being wrongly convicted. And, but, you know, it's just ultimately it didn't serve him well. His lies did not serve him well. He, you know, when you lie and you try to cover it up and you do something wrong, the truth comes to light. And her body washed up on Good Friday. And that my mom, I remember mom talking to me about that as an adult. And I was talking to her about the timeline and she said her body washed up on Good Friday. And I think that speaks volumes for her family got closure at this time. And the truth does come to light. And he did a horrible thing and he should uh, suffer for it in prison. <laughs> well, I think they should have, this may be controversial, but I think they should have put a bullet in him and there's no reason to keep feeding him in my opinion, but that's just me. He's just, wow. The, it's just the, a thing lot. About, the thing about it today is uh, they probably, Scott Peterson probably could be watching this episode. So I got, I, <laughs> he's probably, and, and that's the thing is he's in, in prison <laughs> And he should it's probably be, really nice. It's probably it's, way too cozy. They to should be breaking big rocks into little rocks. And he's in there uh, watching Oprah and, and surfing the and net and playing cards. Yeah. Because you, you told me some things that he was doing along those lines. So tell us about that, what he said. Um, I don't remember what you're talking about. I was thinking that you told me that he was telling someone that they were treating him nice and he was playing cards. No, that was uh, that was Chrisley. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I'm getting I'm mixed up with Chris. Yeah. Oh, I was like, I don't remember that exactly. I think I did read something. I mean, prison these days is not yeah. what it should be. I just wonder, Billy, because we know how it is just with um, with oh, uh, Ted Bundy. He's probably got more girlfriends now than he ever did out here in the real world. Yeah. As far as no. Oh, I guarantee you they're all over him in there. We yeah. talked about Ted Bundy with this case that because of how charming he was. It was easy for him. Uh, oh, that was what we talked about is he's probably one of these people that he's in prison and he has 18 girlfriends writing him and they believe that he's innocent and that he did nothing wrong. Just like Ted Bundy was in prison and there he had people that were just denying that he had done anything wrong. He got married, <laughs> right? Didn't Bundy get married in prison? Yes. It, a girl, come on. Yes. What? It's just happening. <laughs> But you even mentioned, Caroline, that he was uh, still, after 20 years in jail, basically, he's still nice looking. And yeah. see, that's that's where this all went wrong. It's ridiculous. Per, a person that, that is nice looking aesthetically, <laughs> but is also charming, those two things are a lethal combination if you've got someone that has no morals. Yes, yes. And so, I, and I would love to know um, 
more about the marriage and what that was like and what she described her marriage like to her mom and her friends. I can say if I had had something like that going on in my marriage, my mom would have known and she would have had all the details and I would have been talking to her about it. And even if my husband and I had stayed together, she would have known that. And I feel like there's so much more to this story and her mom and family to begin with, Lacey's family, they did not believe that Scott had done anything wrong, but they started putting it together and realizing that he was acting so strange. Her mom said that she went up to him within a few days of this happening and she tried to console him and put her arms around him. And he walked away from her and shrugged her off. And she just thought that is so odd that you're missing Lacey and we're looking for her and can't find her. And you won't even let me talk to you or comfort you. You don't even need consoling. And her brother said that he got a really bad vibe from him, that there was just no, he just didn't seem like he was looking for her upset and that he was just really ultimately trying to leave it to the police and didn't really care to get out there on his own. I mean, let me tell you, if my husband was missing, I would be out myself looking around at places that I know that he would go. I would be so desperate. So anyone that I knew or was close to, just the desperation that you would feel knowing that they could be suffering or somebody had them and they needed you, it would just drive you crazy. And he just didn't. It just didn't drive him nuts at all. So you but mentioned he to believe. I think you mentioned to me that his mother or her mother mm-hmm. had this aha moment. So yes, she had that. the aha moment. The investigators sat her down. She went on the news. She did press conferences. She was interviewed and she always said that she thought that Scott had nothing to do with it and that nobody needed to be looking into him. They needed to be looking for Lacey. She was desperate to find her. She was always bawling on the news. And then the the um, investigators that were on the case after Amber Fry came forward and they found out about her. They knew that the pictures were going to hit the tabloids and be displayed all over the news. And they wanted to tell her family first. They didn't want them to find out through the media. So they sat her down and told her that he had a mistress. And that was her light bulb moment where she knew that he had done something to her. And the the investigator said that she threw her head into her hands and said, then why did he have to kill her? If that was what he wanted is he wanted to be with this other woman Why did he have to turn to this and do this to my daughter? He could have brought her home. We wanted her and the baby. We would have never bothered him. We would have just moved on and it wouldn't have been that big. You know, it seems like a big deal. But if that was the two choices that we were given, we wanted Lacey and he didn't need to do this. And it's just so devastating. And uh, like three years ago, there was a similar case. Have you looked at that? case where the guy he killed his wife and his two daughters yes um what's chris watts yes it's that's exactly like this so this happens i guess more than we know yes it's and you would think you would think like you said like like the mom said is like why would you have to kill her i mean like you should have set the lady the woman down and say hey you know i'm not in love with you divorce is an option that's totally on the table (laughs) why did you feel like this was the only answer for your problem. You're not gonna lie your way out of it because you're gonna be Scott Peterson and you're gonna be locked up in a jail cell for 20 years right now because you go get cults because you're not you're gonna make a mistake. They all right. make mistakes. They right. all make mistakes. So Trey, this year when we go back to LA, we're gonna go. We were trying to get up to where James Dean was killed at, where he had his car accident at, which is not far from Modesto. 
Modesto may be another hour north of there. So when we go, we need to go to Modesto and go to these places and film. And then we can bring back and look at the film and kind of tear and take that apart. The distances, what the places look like and all that kind of stuff. Now so let's work on it from that standpoint. That timeline, Billy. So, you know, she definitely has spa guy blood in her. Yep, she definitely does. <laughs> going down so another thing that you brought yeah, up, Caroline, um, was the – he was asking about cadaver dogs. So I think that's an important point uh, because cadaver dogs are not going to work in the water. He knew <laughs> she was in the water. Mm-hmm. What he didn't know was if they were going to use cadaver dogs, I would be willing to bet you that they would have hit on – uh, her at the fertilizer plant. So that is a good point. And I do believe that there was some of her DNA found in the back of his car, the back of the truck, but not the boat, okay. which was really interesting to me. Um, there was also an, an issue with, he said that the day that he was working on this mortiser and putting it together, he immediately starts telling people, that he cut his hand and he definitely thinks there's going to be a drop of his own blood on the inside of his car door. Just like OJ. And it's the, it's why are you even thinking about the blood from your own hand while we're just questioning you to figure out what, you know, where she was today, what you were doing today. And you're automatically telling us about this blood, the blood, which I, I would add, is he says he cut his hand on the toolbox that was in the back of the car with these umbrellas that he was supposed to unload, but kept forgetting, even though it's right in front of you in the back of the, the truck and you're not seeing it and you're not going to take them out. You just keep all the way down, put them back around the hole. It's just strange. It, it just doesn't make any sense. So there's another thing that you brought up that you hadn't brought up in this, and that is uh, the boat cover. Yes, the boat cover. The boat cover was not found at the fertilizer um, at his office where he's working, it was actually found dust and gasoline in the shed at their house, hidden in the leaf floor. And the police uncovered it and, you know, why was it even at the house? If you ask me, she was probably wrapped in that and was um, placed with the umbrellas in the back of the truck. So did they do a DNA test on the boat cover? And your audio, by the way, broke up real bad during that. Oh. So go back over that again for just a moment. Just go back to where it was found at. So it was found in the shed underneath a leaf blower doused in gasoline. So the Like police, he was getting ready to burn it. Like he was going to burn it. So the, the police took it out and hung it up over some fence posts to try to get it dry. And I think because of the gasoline and things like that, there was never any DNA that was able to be found on it because it had been mm-hmm. so damaged from where it had been. So it wasn't but a real the boat cover was not with the boat. And that's the other piece too. His boat, he says, never went to his house. It was never outside of where he worked. But it why was the cover at your house doused in gasoline? Just makes no sense. So how far is the fertilizer place from his house? It's about eight minutes. Okay, so that's very close. So my theory is that he went and got the boat cover. He came back. He loaded her in the back of the car, took her back, put her in the boat inside the cover, which would have kept the DNA from getting in the boat. If anybody saw him load her that night, he's going to say that it was umbrellas. Mm-hmm. And then that morning he goes and takes her and disposes of her. But it was all premeditated because he made, so let's just kind of go back over. He made boat anchors, concrete anchors, 
that we believe that there was four of them. One of them's in the boat, so there was three used to weight her body down. Um, five. I think they thought there was five. Oh, so there was five. So, so he kept one and used four. So that would mean one for each limb, probably. Mm -hmm. And that would account for why her limbs were missing when her torso was found. Yeah. Oh, uh, and I know that's gory, y'all. I'm so it's sorry. Horrible. But but it's still that's you know, you gotta talk about the details of this of the story. Hey Caroline, what color was the umbrellas? The umbrellas were a tan color, which is the oh. same color as the boat color and the same color as the pants that she was wearing that night. The color, I wonder, of the um, the boat cover. It was tan, just like the umbrella, you know, light color. What you just said, if her DNA was in the back seat of the truck, he probably, like you said, loaded her there in that cover, took her back to the shop, put her in the yeah. boat. And he strangled her probably in the floor, in the kitchen or somewhere like that. That's why he went back. And washed in and uh, and that's the thing too is this is a no blood case. You know, most of the time when people are killed, there's blood, there's DNA, there was nothing. I Except believe she was truck. killed in her own house, and I mean, it could be hair fibers and things like that. But that's things that you would find on your husband's clothes, on your couch, on mm -hmm. your. But there was no no blood evidence or things like that. So when you're thinking about, you know, way that he could have done this. I mean, you would think maybe manual strangulation or something like that. She, yeah. you know, it, 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 it lends itself to the, I mean, we know he didn't shoot her. We know that there was no like stabbing or anything like that. So you have to kind of draw your own conclusions for that. And if he had done that in their home, I think they, um, people have said that when strangulation happens, a lot of the time you might vomit or things like that. And he did have things he needed to clean up. Because okay, so I was going to ask that. This is this is kind of a, a little bit gory okay. too, but that's but so sometimes she would would upchuck, or would you urinate? Would a person Either those about, kinds of things happen? Possible. So there and was I mean, something was that left there that he had to clean up. Yeah, something. Yeah. Whether it was you know I, you just don't know. But he strangled her in the kitchen. That's the reality of it. On the well, and we don't floor, know that it was the kitchen necessarily. There was tile all over the house. It was you know a house in California, oh. so they've got all these this tile all over. And then also, I think there was something with the, she had taken off. I believe it was she was found in the pants from the night before, but her earrings that she was wearing that night were taken off and put on the dresser, and her shirt was taken off. But I think they found her undergarments and she was wearing the pants from the night before. So it was almost like maybe she was attacked while she was changing that night. Mm -hmm. Like she was getting ready for bed or something. And there's also the story with the ranch. We need to get into the ranch dressing. Okay. So, um, and I watched the videos of the night that the investigators go in and they filmed everything, every inch of the house, every window seal, everything. And I couldn't see this, but there is this story that was told that they got Mountain Mike's pizza after they went to the salon. They had pizza for dinner and then they watched the uh, Monday night football and then they watched the rookie. And Lacey loved ranch on her pizza. Scott did not. And it was found, a bottle of ranch was found beside the pizza box on the kitchen counter. And he didn't like ranch, but she did. So that would lend you to think that she had her pizza that night. 
but that she didn't, when you're a woman, the last thing that I do at night is I call it factory reset, like resets, restore to factory settings. As I go through my house and I start putting all the little things away, or a woman will clean up the kitchen after dinner is over and get everything set back up for the next day. And it's like she never had her chance to go back through her house and put away the ranch dressing. And Scott didn't care anything about it. He didn't take it out. So he didn't put it back up and it was just left out on the counter. So that would make you think she did have her dinner. She went to go get ready for bed. She was going to change into her PJs and then come back and, you know, uh, tear the house down, you know, reset it for the next day. And uh, she never made it to that point is what you would think. And that... that's Everything it. lends to her being killed that night. Yeah, that I, night I think before. that's reasonable. And him, I believe that he took her to work because the ca- cadaver dogs would have picked up on the scent at work. If they could hit on the on the cadaver dogs at work, if they'd hit on the scent there, then that proves that there was a dead body in the fertilizer plant. Right. Yeah. Right. Or warehouse or whatever. I think it was a warehouse. And there were some things where they said the cadaver dogs hit on the boat ramp at the marina, which is, uh, it was, it was, it didn't hold up in court because they said that that was just too far fetched that the dog could smell it on the boat ramp when she would have been transported in the car and in the boat. The boat would have never made contact with the ramp and the dog couldn't have smelled something that wasn't even present. How much later would that have been? Um, I don't know the timeline. For see, it wouldn't have been, off. it wouldn't have made sense for them to go there searching for her because she wasn't gone. Right. You know what I'm saying? That would have been months later, most yeah. likely, right? So it didn't hold up in court. And that was something yeah. that, you know, nobody could really rely on. And they also said that these dogs that were used weren't reliable dogs anyways, because in some of the, um, the testing that they did with them, they were, um, you know, whatever they do and they mark or indicate that there's something there they were indicating and it was false. There was nothing there when they were using them in practice. So it didn't actually end up holding up in court, but it would have been very interesting to know, you know, what uh, would have been found at the office. There was a piece of hair and a pair of pliers inside of the pliers and the pliers were kind of rusted. So nobody could ever really, make sense of that, why her long hair would have been inside of his pliers. I'm sure they impounded the boat. I wonder if the cadaver dogs would have hit on the boat. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. Because see, it just sounds like that they didn't do some of the the due diligence. But at the same time, uh, there would have been a period. They didn't have the boat that day. They would have taken the boat you know, months down the road is when they, when she washed up. Yeah. So it was then that they finally figured out that it was a, a point to, uh, to even do something of, of that nature. And just to finish it out on, a, very much. on a better note, why don't we talk about why I think that I'm interested in true crime from my days of being the spa girl. All right, go ahead. <laughs> so when I was a kid, just in case anybody cares about our father-daughter dynamic. (laughs) In the summers, when my mom would work, I would either stay home alone. I was like, I don't know exactly how old I was. But in the summer, it was stay home alone, or I would get to go to work as a spa girl with my dad. And that meant that I would get $20 at the end of the day. He would give me a $20 bill, and he would stop and get me one of those Nestle Toll House ice cream sandwiches at the gas station. Okay. 
So that was what I got. And I remember dad would come in in the mornings and I was like, you know, a kid and he would knock on the door and be like, do you want to go to work today? And the motivation for going to work, not only the time with dad and ice cream sandwich, but that $20 bill I got to spend on um, a Nancy Drew computer game. That's what I always spent my money on. So when I was growing up, I loved playing those games and I loved reading the Nancy Drew books and working through those games. I spent so many hours doing that as a kid and they were great. And now as an adult, I enjoy true crime and a good mystery. And I'm glad I got to come on here and talk with you all about it. And I have no background in any of this stuff. I just find it interesting. And I hope you learned something new and drew something from it. <laughs> Maybe that he was a horrible guy. <laughs> okay. I think a new character has been born today. I think so. I think <laughs> she definitely has the uh, talent for it, no doubt. <laughs> Caroline Drew. <laughs> <laughs> Caroline Drew, that's right. I definitely have a lot of my dad in me, more than I think sometimes. Yeah. Even though well, I'm very shy. <laughs> I remember you um, uh, playing those games and spending a lot of time with them. And they were very fascinating. I mean, you had to literally figure things out to move forward in the game. It yeah. wasn't a very easy thing to do. It was great. I would still play them as an adult if I had time, but I think they've stopped making them as well, which is very disappointing, but I still have yeah. all of mine. <laughs> that is very cool. So friends, I thank uh, Caroline, my daughter, for coming on. I thank Globetrotting with Trey. This has been a fascinating two episodes. We'll have to get together and do an episode on something else or do a follow-up on this after we go to uh, Modesto and film. And uh, this was fun, y'all. And look, as far as I'm concerned, Scott Peterson is is where he needs to be. I just I just hate that they didn't carry out the death penalty because someone that is that vile, that vicious, that much of a psychopath does not need to take another breath, in my opinion. I All agree. Right. Y'all y'all have a great night. And Good night. Carolina.